0: Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edith Keserick of Southern Ohio. Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. One. Arty said monotonously, There is someone at the door, sir. Shall I answer? There is someone at the door, sir. Shall I? Durham grunted. What he wanted to say was go away and let me alone, but he could only grunt, and Arty kept repeating the stupid question. Arty was a cheap off-brand make, and bought used, and he lacked some cogs. Any first-class serval would have seen that the master had passed out in his chair and was in no condition to receive guests. But Artie did not, and presently Durham got one eye open, and then he began to hear the persistent knocking, the enunciator being naturally out of order. And he said quite clearly, "'If it's a creditor, I'm not in.' "'Shall I answer?' Durham made a series of noises.' Arty took them for an affirmative and trundled off. Durham put his face in his hands and struggled with the pangs of returning consciousness. He could hear a mutter of voices in the hall. He thought suddenly that he recognized them, and he sprang, or rather stumbled up in alarm, hastily combing his hair with his fingers and trying to pull the wrinkles out of his tunic. Through a thick haze he saw the bottle on the table, and he picked it up and hid it under a chair, Ashamed not of its emptiness, but of its label. A gentleman should not be drunk on stuff like that. Paulson and Burke came in. Durham stood stiffly beside the table, hanging on. He looked at the two men. Well, he said, it's been quite a long time. He turned to Artie. The gentlemen are leaving. Burke stepped quickly behind the serval and pushed the main toggle to off. Artie stopped, with a sound ridiculously like a tired sigh. Paulson went past him and locked the door. Then both of them turned to face Durham. Durham scowled. What the devil do you think you're doing? Burke and Paulson glanced at each other as though resolve had carried them this far, but had now run out leaving them irresolute in the face of some distasteful task. Both men wore black dominoes with the cows thrown back. Were you afraid you'd be recognized coming here? Durham said. A small pulse of fright began to beat in him, and this was idiotic. It made him angry. What do you want? Paulson said in a reluctant voice, not looking at him, I don't want anything, Durham. Believe me. Durham had once been engaged to Paulson's sister, a thing both of them preferred not to remember but couldn't quite forget. He went on, We were sent here. Durham tried to think who might send them. Certainly not any of the girls. Certainly not any one of the people he owed money to. Two members of the Terran World Embassy Corps, even young and still obscure members in the lower echelons we above either of those missions. Who sent you? Burke said, "Hawtree." No, said Durham. Oh, no. You got the name wrong. Hawtrey wouldn't send for me if I was the last man in the galaxy. Hawtrey indeed. Hawtrey said Paulson. He took a deep breath and threw aside his domino. Come on, Burke. Burke took off his domino. They came on together. Durham drew back. His shoulders dropped and his fists came up. Look out, he said. What are you going to do? Look out. All right, said Burke, and they both jumped together and caught his arms, not because Durham was so big or so powerful that he frightened them, but because they disliked the idea of brawling with a drunken man. Paulson said, Hawtrey wants you tonight, and he wants you sober, "'and that, damn it, is the way he's going to get you.'" An hour and seven minutes later, Durham sat beside Paulson inside a copter with no insignia and watched the roof of his apartment tower fall away beneath him. Burke had stayed behind, and Durham wore the Irishman's domino with a cowl up over his head. Under the domino was his good suit, The one he had not sent to the pawnbroker because he could not, because he could not, as yet, quite endure being without one good suit. He was scrubbed and shaved and perfectly sober. Outside he did not look too bad. Inside he was a shambles. The copter fitted itself into the north south lane. Paulson, muffled in his cowl, sat silent. Durham felt a similar reluctance to speak. He looked out over the hub and tried to keep from thinking. Don't run to meet it. Don't get your hopes up. Whatever it is, let it happen. Quietly. The city was beautiful. Its official name was Galactic Center, but it was called the hub because that is what it was. The hub and focus of a galaxy. It was the biggest city in the Milky Way. It covered almost the entire land area of the third planet of a Type G star that someone with a sense of humor had christened Pax. The planet was chosen originally because it was centrally located and had no inhabitants, and because it was within the limits of tolerance for the humanoid races. The others mostly needed special accommodations anyway. And so, from a sweet, green, airy world, with nothing on it but trees and grass and a few mild-natured animals, The hub had grown to have a population of something like 10 billion people, spread horizontally and stacked up vertically and dug in underneath, and every one of them was engaged in some governmental function, or in espionage, or in both. Intrigue was as much a part of life in the hub as corpuscles are a part of blood. The hub boasted that it was the only inhabited world in space where no single grain of wheat or saddle of mutton was grown. Where nothing was manufactured, and nobody worked at a manual job, Durham loved it passionately. Both moons were in the sky now, one was small and low, like a white pearl hung just out of reach. the other was enormous. It had an atmosphere, and it served as storehouse and supply base for the planet city, handling the billions of tons of shipping that kept it going. The two of them made a glorious spectacle overhead, but Durham did not bother to see them. The vast glow of the city paled them, made them unimportant. He was remembering how he had seen it when he was fresh from Earth, for the first time, the supreme capital, beside which the world capitals were only toy cities, the heart and center of the galaxy, where the decisions were made and the great men came and went. He was remembering how he had felt... How he had been so sure of the future that he never gave it a second thought. But something happened. What? Liquor, they said. No, not liquor. The hell with them. I could always carry my drinks. Liquor, they said. And the accident. Well, what of it? Didn't other people have accidents? And anyway, no one really got hurt out of it. He didn't, and the girl didn't. What if she wasn't his fiance? And the confidential file he had had in the copter hadn't fallen into anybody's hands, so there wasn't anything to that. No, not liquor, and not the accident, no matter what they said. It was Hawtree, and a personal grudge because he, Durham, had had Hawtree's daughter out with him in the copter that night. And so what— was only engaged to Willa Paulson, not married to her. And anyway, Susan Hawtree knew what she was doing. She knew darn well. Hawtree, a grudge, and a little bad luck. That's what happened. And that's all. The copter swerved and dropped onto a private landing stage attached to a penthouse. Durham knew it well, though he hadn't seen it for over a year. He got out, "'aware of palpitations and a gone feeling in the knees. "'He needed a drink, but he knew he would have to go inside first, "'and he forced himself to stand up and walk beside Paulson "'as though nothing had ever happened. "'The head high, the face proud and calm, "'just a touch of bitterness, but not too much. "'Hawtree was alone in the living room. "'He glanced at Durham as he came in through the long glass doors.' There was a serval standing in the corner, and Hawtrey said to it, A drink for the gentleman, straight and stiff. A small anger stirred in Durham. Hawtrey might at least have given him the choice. He said sharply, No thanks. Hawtrey said, Don't be a fool. He looked tired, but then he always had. Tired and keyed up and full of the drive and the brittle excitement of one who has juried peoples and nations. "'expressed as black marks on sheets of varicolored paper "'for so long that it has become a habit "'as necessary and destructive as hashish. "'To Paulson, he said, "'I'll ring when I need you. "'Paulson went out. "'The serval placed the drink in Durham's hand. "'He did not refuse it. "'Sit down,' said Hawtree, and Durham sat. "'Hawtree dismissed the serval.' Durham drank part of his drink and felt better. "'Well,' he said. "'I'm listening.' "'You were a great disappointment to me, Durham.' "'What am I supposed to say to that?' "'Nothing. Go ahead, finish your drink. I want to talk to a man, not a zombie.' Durham finished it angrily. "'If you brought me all the way here to shake your finger at me, I'm going home again.' That was what he said aloud." Inside, he wanted to get down and embrace Hawtree's knees and beg him for another chance. I brought you here, said Hawtree, to offer you a job. If you do it, it might mean that certain doors could be opened for you again. Durham sat perfectly still. For a moment, he did not trust himself to speak. Then he said, I'll take it. Certain doors... That's what I've waited for, living like a bum, dodging creditors, hawking my shoes, waiting for those doors to open again. He tried not to show how he felt, sitting stiffly at ease in the chair, but a red flush began to burn in his cheeks and his hands moved. About time, about time, damn you, hawtrey, that you remembered me. Damn you, oh, damn you for making me sweat so long. Pawtree said, Did you ever hear of Nanta Deek? No. What is it? A planet. It belongs to a green star system. Chart designation KL421, subsector 9G, sector 80, quadrant 7. It's a very isolated system, the only inhabited one in 9G, as a matter of fact. 9G is a Terran quota sector, and since Nanta Deek is humanoid, It's become headquarters for our nationals who are engaged in business in that subsector. Durham nodded. Unassimilated territory lying outside the Federation was divided among Federation members, allowing them to engage in trade only in their allotted sectors and subject to local law and license. This eliminated competitive friction between Federation worlds through open new areas to development and eventually usually under the sponsorship of the Federated World, brought the quota sectors into the vast family of suns that had already spread over more than half the galaxy. There were abuses now and again, but on the whole, as a system, it worked pretty well. I take it Nantadik is where I'm going? Yes. Now listen. First thing in the morning, go and book a third-class passage to Earth on the Sylvania Merchant— leaving on the day following. Let your friends know you're going home. They won't be surprised. Don't rub it in. Sorry. When you reach the spaceport, walk across the main rotunda near the newsstand. Drop your ticket and your passport, folded together, go on to the newsstand and wait. They will be returned to you by a uniformed attendant." Only your passport will be in a different name, and your ticket will now be on a freighter outbound for Nantadik. You will then embark at once. Is that all clear? Everything but the reason. I'll come to that. How good is your memory? As good as it ever was. All right. When you reach Nantadik, a man will meet you as you leave the ship. He will ask if you are the ornithologist. You will say yes. Then, pay close attention to this. You will say, the Dark Birds will soon fly. Got that? The Dark Birds will soon fly. Simple enough. What's it mean? 9G is a rich sector. Isolated, improperly policed, underpopulated. There has been a certain amount of trouble. Poaching, claim jumping, outright piracy. The Dark Birds are a couple of suspected ships. We want to set a trap for them. And you know how things are on the hub. If a man buys a pair of socks, the news is all across the galaxy in a week. That's the reason for all the secrecy. Is that all? No. Hawtree got up, turning his back on Durham. He said harshly, Listen, Lloyd. It was the first time he had used Durham's Christian name. This is an important job. It may not seem like one, but it is. Do it. There's somebody else who wanted you to have another chance. Durham did not say anything. He waited for Hawtree to turn around and face him and say the name. But he didn't, and finally Durham said, Susan, I don't know what she sees in you, said Hawtree and pushed a button. Paulson came in. Hawtree jerked a thumb at Durham. Take him back and tell Burke to give him the money. Durham went out and got into the copter. He felt dizzy, and this time it was not from drinks or the lack of them. He sat, and Paulson took the copter off. Hawtree watched it from inside the glass doors until it was out of sight above the roof. And another man came from behind a door that led into Hawtree's private study and watched it with him. "'Are you sure about him?' asked the man. "'I know him,' Hawtrey said. "'He's a slob.' "'But are you sure?' "'Don't worry, Morrison,' Hawtrey said. "'I know him. He'll talk. Bet you a hundred he never even makes the spaceport.' "'Blessed are the fools,' said Morrison. "'For they shall inherit nothing.' End of section one.